we've got all these tools out there to help us, but we need to start pulling up our socks and utilizing them. We've got crates. Bunnings sell great dog runs. We've got all these tools in the world, but we just either don't want to or don't know how to utilize them into a companion dog's world. So, you know, place training is a job. You know, having a dog sitting on the bed is a job. Sending your dog to a crate is a job. Teaching your dog to shake hands is a job. Anything that uses the brain. But I think what you said earlier too, like that dog would need like 45 minutes of exercise. I think physical exercise is important for dogs, but I don't think it comes even close to how important mental stimulation is for dogs. Yeah. And I find training a dog five to 10 minutes is worth generally a good hour's walk for a lot mm-hmm. of these dogs. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Well, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, how's your day going? Not too bad. Pretty casual for a Sunday, but kennel managing. Still lots of paperwork to do. Yeah, for sure. Keep Thanks for joining us on, on a Sunday. Sunday. That's all right. Well, what's been happening, man? What's going on with work? You know, we want to hear a little bit about your backstory. We, we know, we've known each other at different seminars and we're all in the same sort of um, – training clan but we haven't really sat down and have a full-on conversation so i think today's going to be pretty cool and obviously luke hasn't met you so um give us a little bit of a backstory like you know where, where how'd you get started with training with dogs and where you're at now uh yeah i kind of like most people grew up with dogs um always had rough coated collies and mum used to collect the, any stray that she came across uh so i had chihuahuas you name it um, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. I was going through a bit of a dark patch in my early 20s and I wanted some companionship, so I was looking for a dog, my my first dog for myself, and I uh, was mucking around. I had a friend suggest getting a husky because she had one and I quite liked the one she had, so we had a look around and after a couple of backyard breeding litters that weren't were definitely not huskies, I found one. Um, so I bought that little fella, uh, who most people know as Kato, who I lost in November, unfortunately. Uh, but from there, I was working in pubs. I was a gaming manager and, um, I was really excited to pick him up on the Monday. And my boss said to me, no, I need you on Monday. And I said, unfortunately, I've bought this puppy and I can't come in. And he said, oh, I really need you. So bring the puppy in with you. So I, I did. I brought, I picked up the puppy and then I took him into work and put him behind the bar first day. Uh, and every time I left the bar, he'd like a husky, he would squeal and howl. And uh, the restaurant manager came down and said, we can't have a dog you know, food and beverage. <laughs> I said, well, the boss said it. Anyway, so they sent me home and a dog daycare had opened its doors a week before, I think, uh, not far from the city. So I thought I'd swing past there on the way home just see what it was about in case I needed it with work and um being a gorgeous cute little husky puppy I uh 
I went in there and they've only had about six dogs in at that stage and they asked if I wanted to come in and play with the dogs. And, of course, I said yes. And I was there for about six hours. Wow. <laughs> and then as I was leaving, they um, offered me a job. Awesome. So I jumped at that and left the pubs as quick as I could uh, and jumped into them. In a few weeks, I was full-time. And then in a couple of months, I was managing it. And then that's where I met a couple of trainers uh, who would come in to assist the staff learning how to control large groups of dogs, interacting that kind of gear. And I asked, where should I, I really like this? Where can I go learn? And that's why I was encouraged to go study with the NDTF. Awesome. So I went and did that. That would be 2010, 2011. So same time as you? Um, yeah, same time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us went through at the same time. Um and then I, I uh, unfortunately, Dog Daycare doesn't pay a lot and I did have a mortgage. So I did end up leaving the daycare for numerous reasons, but I ended up working on oil rigs for half the year. So three weeks oh, on wow. oil rigs, three weeks home with the dog. And that's when I was really starting training business with my own, just casually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with three years of that, the oil rigs went bust. So all the oil rigs were shutting down and I was out of work with a mortgage. And someone, I think it was one of my friends I was working with at the daycare, sent me a link to a job as a kennel manager at a local kennel. Uh, I applied for it. I didn't have much luck, but I ended up being the only one who did apply for it. So I got that job. Cool. Then I moved into training full-time and running the kennels, and that was about six years ago now. So, And now we operate two large boarding kennels here in Adelaide on both sides of the city and the dog training. Awesome. And so, the yeah, it's at, at the property of the kennels? Yeah, the property. Uh, we run them out both properties, yeah. Cool. So board and train, private training, group classes, one-on-ones, day schools, you name it. Yeah, beautiful. And it's been taking a bit of a hit, obviously, through this whole, whole COVID thing, but what, what are you guys up to these days? Well, yeah, funny enough, the kennels have suffered, as you would expect, being in the travel industry. Mm. Uh but the training hasn't really that much. I mean, we're not doing group classes because of restrictions and trying to be, um, you know, responsible. Uh, but our day school service has gone through the roof during this time. I think people being stuck at home are starting to see how annoying some of their dogs' behaviours actually are. <laughs> so, and, and, of course, we've, we've put them on special just to, you know, I've got five trainers that work underneath me and just making sure that they obviously can get an income during this time. So we've put a couple of specials out and encourage people to book in and that's been keeping us very busy today schools. So that's that's good. But uh, hopefully with the easements or restrictions coming out to June long weekend, we'll see some more work coming through the boarding kennels. Yeah, for sure. And what sort of training are you guys like focusing on um, with the clients? Uh, most of the day schools, are. Uh, we've got quite a few puppies that are coming in through the day school program. We're running a program called Pandemic Puppies Instead of the puppy school, we're doing it with um, individual stuff. That's so awesome. we've had quite a few puppies, uh, quite a few chow-chow puppies all of a sudden, which is fun. I, I, I saw uh, a chow-chow puppy actually last week. I haven't seen one name. Yeah, yeah we've, got, we've got three from the same litter currently going through the program. That's the one I was saying. Uh, a couple of Mallies, a yeah, couple of yeah, Shepherds. Yeah. Uh, so they, we do a lot of exposure work with them, confidence boosting, exposure to sur- sight, surfaces, sounds, confidence building, all that kind of gear, crate training, place training. The other ones are general uh, clients that we've 
probably had for quite a long time with just touching up on some of their obedience training. Uh, some other ones, we've got a couple of uh, quite human reactive dogs coming in, a couple of dog reactive dogs coming in, so we work with them as well, um, obviously a little bit safer. Uh, and then we've got, at the moment, about two dogs in for rehabilitation. Uh, one is human aggressive and the other one is dog aggressive. So uh, they're a very slow process, but that's how I kind of like doing that kind of gear, taking it nice and slow and building some trust with them. But, yeah, all dogs are different types, different behaviours, different skill levels, keeps us on our toes and keeps it interesting. Yeah, 100%. And how long do the dogs stay at your, um, in the kennels for board and train? Board and train, uh, if it's just, because someone's going away, like five, we might do a five-day board and train or if they just want to touch up some obedience five days. But we can do – we generally run five, ten, or 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a, uh, an aggression or reactivity case, minimum 20. Uh, if it's a really nasty case like the current human aggressive one, we'll just play it by ear because obviously we can't give an end date for that. It doesn't Sometimes it could take us four weeks to get in with that dog. So we'll just play it by ear and see how they go, keep in contact with the owners, uh, update on their progress. We try to make sure they really understand that it's not a quick fix and we do need to take our time. And the variables that come with dogs uh, can change a lot of that. But that's that's the kind of stuff I really like doing at the moment is the real hard rehab cases, just, you know, helping them get through. Oh, and, of course, most of it's fear-related. So, you know, they've got some kind of evidence on people so sit, just sitting there while they're barking their face off at you and just taking your time earning their trust. Yeah, I watch your videos, man, where it's like it's on the, what do they call it, when it speeds up and you have a yeah, time lapse and you're sitting yeah. there for like, I don't know, it looks like a long time. And, and I love that approach. And the fact that you guys can do that because you are doing the board and train where it's something different to what I would do. It's all one-on-one all the time. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we're very lucky to have these facilities to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, Sometimes I'll sit down and just do all my paperwork in front of them and that could take a long time. Or sometimes we'll just go, we put a timer on and go spend five minutes with them every half an hour so we can get those kind of repetitions in. But having the option to do that kind of gear is phenomenal for us. Like I just really, really enjoy it. Um, Of course, the human side of those kind of cases to me is a lot harder so that's why we not only do we film a lot of it just for, you know, advertising and our social media, but just to show them the process that we've gone through just to get them comfortable with us being touched or anything like that, it, I think it's very, very important. It's not a magic wand fix, never will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and trying to train people that, yeah, prevention is much better than a cure, particularly with those kind of aggression cases. Yeah, 100%. Well, you just mentioned the NDTF before. Luke just started his NDTF course. He's yeah, a weekend or something. Not, not the it. best time to start it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, my cohort, my online cohort started at the end of oh, about three weeks ago now and the the previous course that started in January, they already had, you know, we spoke to Glenn um who, who runs some of the Sydney course here. We spoke to him about a month ago and he said, look, the, you know, the courses that were supposed to run, supposed to have their prac um, at the end of April have already been delayed. So, and it's still sort of up yeah. in the air what's happening, what's going to happen with mine. But look, the online stuff is there and I'm very lucky to have 
at my connection with Panos as well. So it does give yeah. me a bit more of a confidence. Like if I was just someone else who didn't have that, I'd probably be a bit more worried. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've still got all the materials. It's just the the prac um, blocks that are, are going to be put off probably for a little bit. So, but it's very... Yeah, I know three, three of my girls, they had theirs cancelled just before Easter, I think. And their second one is coming up in a couple of weeks. I don't think that's going to happen because we still have restrictions with quarantine. But um, I, when I did the MDTF, yeah, I went in there solo with no real support system either. And back in our day, we still had to burn to CDs and mail a lot of our gear and we yeah. got all the, the CD shoots uh, with Boyd on them. Yeah, Boyd. Um, yeah, a couple of them that weren't edited too well, so they kept filming <laughs> over the lunch breaks and stuff, so you had to sit through the lunch breaks. and <laughs> Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> I think it's come a long way since then. It's crazy to think like... I mean, 10 years is, it is and it isn't a long amount of time when you think about it, right? Like, no, in it's one, a long time in technology, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like, in one sense, it's, it's not that long. You think 10 years ago, but I mean, Instagram didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, YouTube barely <laughs> existed 10 years ago. There was, well, you know, I was only thinking this morning um, because I'm looking, uh, I'm, I possibly have another puppy coming at the end of this month. Oh, nice. Uh, and when I had Kato, when I first got him as a puppy, Facebook had just started. Mm-hmm. So I don't have all the puppy photos and all that kind of gear that I'd like to go back through as much as I want to. So yeah. this time around, it's going to get a lot more. So another Husky? Yeah, another Husky. Um, awesome. I had a long think about that. Uh, but my heart is in that. Um, what was not so much, it's a very difficult decision. I don't want to, re- and I can't. I can't replace Cato whatsoever. Mm. And the people who are lucky enough to ever meet him understand that he was just a freaking awesome dog. Um, but my heart is in Huskies, and I, I deal with so many other dogs, so I just kind of want something for me. Yeah, because uh, I got. You know, we've got, had quite a few foster dogs and a lot of different breeds: Italian Abracos, Bulldogs, uh, and we've got a. Tibetan Mastiff that we deal with at the moment a lot. You see, who's I would have him. I would have him in an instant, but I, I really want to start with a puppy again just to have that experience and have the critical period. seeing what I know this time round and see what I would do differently. I'm actually freaking out a lot more this time round than I did when I first got a dog. Was more a pressure. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm, I'm absolutely freaking out. Like, where do I start? Am I going to have enough time? What do I do first? Oh, what if I stuff it up? All that kind of gear. But, but um, I love that you said that, man, because I think we were talking about it the other day that I, I'm, on, I'm on a waiting list at the moment. I don't know when when <laughs> my pup will be on the way, but I've been tripping balls, man. Like so nervous. I haven't raised a puppy in in like you know nine years. Yeah, Spades yeah. is nine, and I raise everyone else's bloody puppies, and so do you. And now it's like not only is there a pressure, I guess also the the feeling of obviously having a baby. And it's like, wow, am I as exactly the same thing? The time and the pressure and. Am I going to do it? And obviously, we're going to do awesome. No worries, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really lucky. A lot of my younger trainers, they've been pulling me back to earth and saying, even if you do stuff it up, and because we stuff up the dogs pretty much every day anyway, but that's not the point. It's the point is we're making resilient dogs that even yeah. though we stuff up, it's just going to be wore off their back and they'll exactly. teach us better. Anyway. I love that, man. Yeah. I, I love the idea of it, it's just, yeah, it's a little bit stressful. I can see what most people go through now. <laughs> I would say, like, even for me, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a dog this year and I would think, like, that as, the, as I get more and more into the course material and obviously spending a lot of time with Panos and talking and listening to, you know, like um, Glenn and Pat's podcast, it's like you sort of build up this, this pressure on yourself. Yeah. I'm like, 
I guess the more I know or the more I feel like I've learned, I feel like I have less excuse to do to make the wrong move or to you know what I mean? Like as opposed to Yeah, just, I mean you know, blow they say knowledge is power. But <laughs> I don't I, like when I see that a lot in training, like there's some trainers out there who know their science of training back to front. They're just like you ask them anything, they know exactly what to reference. They but sometimes I think we just all need to shut up a little bit and just be with the dog. Yes, yes. Um, people ask me uh, why was Cato so good? Was he genetically good or what did I do training-wise? And I think it's a combination of a few things. I think genetically he was already a, an awesome dog when I got him. I made that – I didn't make that consciously. I just picked the right dog for me. So he was already a chilled type of husky. Uh, obviously training – involves with all that as well but not as much as i think people think i did uh, but generally I, th- I think what made him such an awesome dog was he lived with me for you know nine years uh and i was single for most of that time and my household was very chill just me and him being together so it just kind of developed him into a really chill dog nice so um our kennel facility he used in the last couple of years he would just be out on the grounds, you know, with the gates open and people coming in and out. And he was just chilling there and people would ask us if that was a statue. <laughs> well, no, that's just my dog. He's just chilling. It's a very statue. Oh, right. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's special, man. Special when you have, like, I, I resonate with that. Obviously, having spades and he comes with me. Yeah. Like, most days to work. It's different setup and it'll be probably easier for him if we had a, a location on the earth sitting there for him to be around. But he's in the car, out of the car. He's resting here, there. But it, it, there is a companionship on a different level. It's our work dog, le- legitimately. Yeah. But also just that, like you can't, re- like when I get a new puppy, I'm not going to try to force where it goes. But I don't know if we're going to be able to replicate that dog that we made by accident because we didn't, con- yeah. like, we we started at the same time roughly and the dogs are like Spades is nine now and did you say Kato passed away last Kato year? was nine and a half, yeah. When he passed, yeah. yeah. So it's almost like the same, it's like kind of going ar- along the same trajectory. And as we yeah. learn, we were applying it, but I think maybe you would resonate with this, but when I did the NDTF course, when we were, cause I had worked in kennels um, previously to doing the course. And then when the theory started coming up, the connection was being made so quick. I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to learn it. It felt like, aha, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And that comes yeah, to how you with the dogs. Oh, I think absolutely. Like I was, I think I did my course with a few people who weren't into training. They weren't, you know, doing any work along the lines so they're just dog owners who want to learn more and that was great um but for me yeah everything we learned i had a connection i could make that that connection with what i was doing at that time which made it a lot easier yeah um but of course uh, i did mine in melbourne so i i also met some amazing people through there like brad mm. griggs and then obviously brent and cat saunas through them as well um well, Luke's going to do his practical block in Melbourne. Yeah, I'm doing mine in Melbourne because when Boston. I when I signed yeah. up, um, you know, the next Sydney course was like even to start the online yeah. portion was like so it was like six or eight months away, and I was like, nah, you know, forget that. So I signed up for the Melbourne one, and then coronavirus hits, so that complicates <laughs> things in terms of travel, uh, interstate travel, and that sort of thing. But it should be okay. And I've read some stuff online and I've heard that they're like, they're based in Melbourne. So, you know, obviously Glenn's an awesome um, trainer in Sydney, but I've read some cool stuff about Melbourne. So I'm very excited to get down there. Yeah. And I think, you know, soak up as much as you can ask as many questions as you can talk to as many people as you can. I always encourage my guys to wear their uniform just so people know who they are and where they're from. Oh, you know, Scott. And then 
before they know it, they're doing stuff outside the course just as much as they are in the course. Beautiful. You know, make, make this, I mean, that's how I know Panos. Like, Panos is like a, my seminar buddy. Like, I have so many <laughs> seminar buddies. And I think we're missing all of that a little bit this year. Like, it was, it's pretty much like every year we've all caught up at yeah. seminars and it seems a little bit isolated, which I, I suppose is the point. <laughs> I guess that, that's true. That's true. I was supposed to be in Norell's next Sunday. Or was it was supposed to be today. Yeah. I think next Sunday I was supposed to be there um, for her um, for a seminar or workshop for the day. And um, ah, spewing is not on. But anyway, um, I'm sure. It'll come that's back. what I love about those seminars. Uh, we go to these seminars with these amazing international people. Even sometimes we have uh, amazing local people hosting. But I think it was when we went to Tyler Mudo's. Um, he had some travel issues, and he wasn't sure if he was going to make it. And as much as Tyler is my god in dog training, it didn't matter because we were all there and yeah. we could all just spend the whole weekend chatting amongst each other or getting up and having five minutes each on that stage. And I think yep. it would still be a freaking incredible weekend. So when I go, well, we're very isolated here in SA with those kind of things. We don't really get them. Um, luckily, I have people like Brent and uh, Kat and Bernie and all those kind of people will come down and run seminars with us. But having those big stars just doesn't happen. So when we get over, it's a real treat. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of expense for us, travel, accommodation, not to mention the tickets. Yeah, of course. I I think they're also crucial for education and just keeping the passion going uh, and having those connections. But I'm looking forward to some new seminars once all this stuff lifted. Well, it's it's twofold. After I come back from a seminar, I have – one main and the major feeling is awesome. I'm going to try a couple of new techniques and it was good to speak to, to Scott and whoever it was. It kind of, yeah, it does. It keeps the juices flowing. But then there's, on the other hand, I had this more. So when I come back from Josh Moran and Forrest Mickey, like, a, and also a state of, should I change what I'm doing? Is that market system right? Should I do that? And you're like, oh, it's working how it is. I want to improve it. So well, what could you give in advice and not just for dog training, but any skill, like if you're, at somewhere and you and you're doing and you feel like you're doing okay and you're open to learning stuff to apply a new technique what's your way of of in introducing new techniques uh, yeah i think that's a really good point like i think it's taken a couple of seminars to realize that like when it, when i first went to a couple of seminars i was thinking that yeah I, i'm not doing it right i'm i'm not doing that and uh, i need to change it but i think we all need to understand that when we go to these seminars, we're seeing how these guys do it mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily right. It's not necessarily wrong. It just works for them. Yeah. And when I go to them, I, I take copious amounts of notes. Um, you see some people take notes, some don't. But uh, me and uh, Marcia, we always generally team up and share notes. Uh, nice. And I come back and I try to go through them and then I'll think, I'm going to try this with this dog or even if I don't, I think I've got it. Ugh my little notebook right here from seminars. Nice. Um, if I run into an issue with a dog or I feel like this dog could deal with something different, I just run through my notes and there'll be stuff in there that I've forgotten well before I've gotten home. But I go, oh, yeah, that shit, he did say something about that. I might try that or I might look it up. I think that's the thing about being a good dog trainer. It's not knowing what to do. It's knowing how to find it and knowing how to test things. Yeah. So I don't see it as something – well, I don't anymore. I don't see it as something telling me I'm doing it right or doing it wrong. I just think it's something that's increasing my toolkit Yeah. if I approach it. But even if I just want to try something new, try something new, and my my training changes oh, how many times every single year. Yeah. I don't think – I mean, that is for someone who's doing the NDTF at the moment. You know, some stuff that you'll learn, 
won't be the stuff you'll be doing in a couple mm. of years' time. You know, the NETF have to teach you something and have to mm. teach you a baseline, but it doesn't work that way. And I think that's very important for young trainers that when they're learning something, you're, it, it's not going to be how you do it. And there's so many variables in place. So you, we learn a lot about how to deal with dogs and train them obedience and train them with resource guarding and reactivity and all those issues. But one thing we don't really teach young trainers is how do they apply that to the everyday Joe? So they might get told, yeah, you got to do this and that. But the single mum with the three kids with a dog problem is not going to have the time, mm-hmm. understanding or skill set to do that. Mm-hmm. So you really need to conclude their variables mm-hmm. as much as the dog, much as the environment, as much as the genetics and the breed and all that kind of gear as a package. So the more stuff I learn at those seminars, the more I can do that. Yeah, love that. Um, I think I was, I, I was talking to a, a dog nutritionist at one point, and uh, just asked them to knock up a quick thing for me. And they mentioned um, I should feed my dog quail eggs, uh, and I kind of questioned why. And it was just it was something to do with the size of the eggs. I can't really remember, but I just asked, "Can I not just use a chicken egg?" And she said, "Yeah, you could." I'm like, well, that's kind of my point. Like, I don't even know where to look for quail eggs. But if I can use a chicken egg, isn't that easier? So understanding that, and they say that, don't they? Like, to be a good dog trainer, you've got to be a good people trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, I I personally, I shouldn't say hate, but I dislike people more and more every year, and I love my dogs more and more every year. But isn't that why teaching the people how to do it (laughs) (laughs) teaching the people how to help those dogs is me loving the dogs because if i can't get to those people to help those dogs and make it work for them Mm -hmm. on how i want it yes there's there's no point the dog's gonna suffer so you you know i I do a lot of uh, educating of people how to train the dogs while sitting on the couch drinking beer because people work they they work and they love dogs but it needs to help them as well. If it's a chore, they're not going to do it. So sit yeah. on your couch, drink beer. So those are the kind of things in like the NETF or any kind of course just to keep in consideration. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, before I worked in pubs and dogs, I uh, studied graphic design at uni. Uh, and although I never finished it, I, I do use a lot of the things that I learnt in there for my social media and all that kind of gear. But I, one thing that resonates a lot with me is my first lecturer, Stuart Gloof, was a mountain of a man and very stern. And he would, we would do our uh, lectures with him and he'd tell us the rules about graphic design. But after every lecture, he'd finish it and say to us, all right, guys, go out there, break the rules, but break them beautifully. Mm. And I think that's a really cool way of thinking something just because i'm being told that doesn't mean it's the rule i'm going to break it but if i'm going to break it break it beautifully yeah let's say rules are to be known and then to be broken right broken (laughs) once you've learned and that that was the other thing with graphic design that i loved and i kind of bring into this industry or try to is they talk about how we did you know 12 years of school and in school they they tell us this is how it is but with graphic design, they have to kind of undo all that. So they have to break because we get taught this is it, but they want to teach us how to think. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's very important is how to think, uh, how to investigate, how to learn. And knowing that Dr. Facebook and Professor Google is not always the answer. 
Um, but you will get some good bits in there, but just learning how to question stuff and mm-hmm. investigate. Very yeah. important, particularly for behavior. Man, that's awesome advice, bro. I love that. I really resonate with that as well. Um, that brings to mind a, a, a saying or a, or a quote is, you know, um, don't stand in the shadows of your masters, but but stand on their shoulders. You know, the things that yes. we learn are our foundation that we get to stand on so then we can further it and make it more dynamic and better. Yeah. And especially when, you, when you're teaching people, like I was speaking to, I think it was Ben Dawson the other day and we were talking through Instagram about, you know, like how frustrating it is that he understands the concepts, but now it's about applying it to the person to do it with their dog. And three quarters of our job is to know the person's psychology, know how they operate and be, and then what technique will specifically work for them. And the best way to do that is through experience. You got to kind of screw it up, understand and learn from it and go, cool, that didn't work for you, but it'll work for you. Are you an 80 year old lady with a bull mastiff or are you, you know, young guy? Like just those two, um, elements of knowing the un- of of the the content doing it with your own dog but then also applying it to others is is the craft in itself and i think that's uh, you yes. were, what you said was so important absolutely i, I know when uh, we have our good friend brent dry down to run seminars with us he uses markers slightly different than we do and a lot of my clients they latch onto that and they get very confused uh, and then Brent and I end up having to step back and explain to them it doesn't matter. It's just a different style. It's not mm. the right style. It's not the wrong style. It's a different style. It's a so concept. Mm. Understand yeah. the concepts <laughs> and principles. Yes. Yeah. And it might be something you might want to apply. It might not be. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. But so many people want that. They they kind of don't want to be taught how the dog thinks or uh, how to address. They just want to be told exactly what to do and how to address it. But if you're going to do that, for example, if you're going to come in for a private assessment of your dog, you're going to have to come back in two weeks because it's all going to change by then. We're going to work out what works, what doesn't, and then we're going to have to alter that. Yeah. You know, it's not a one-off thing. It never will be. These are living, sentient creatures. Um, some people think it's trainers trying to flog money off people. It's it's absolutely not. It's because this is a living creature. Yeah. Um, and if we could all hand them a microphone, I think Josh Moran is a big one for saying that, if you can just hand them a microphone would be a hell of a lot easier yeah but i think if we stop and look the dogs are speaking plenty oh yeah just not listening well i I bring a lot of stuff into my training from all different areas that i've worked in so uh you know i was talking in another podcast earlier this week like when i worked on oil rigs uh it ends up being quite a dangerous place to work and work health safety was a massive element of that and then i ended up studying work health safety uh, back then as well, which is an incredibly boring subject. But I use a hell of a lot of it now, not only in running kennels, but with dog training. Yeah. Because a lot of it is about eliminating risk and hazards and most people have dogs that are aggressive or reactive or resource guarding. You need to do that first. You need to yeah. eliminate it first and treat it. But underst- a lot of people don't know how to address hazards. They don't know how to identify hazards. But I think it's an massive part of addressing behavior and i can't even remember if there was that much of it in the mdts course to be honest mm. well one thing if you like for our listeners if you're if that when they're listening they understand that in every episode we talk about management 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 it is all about <laughs> fucking management um and the yeah. reason why is because people let the dog do whatever they want and then they expect the dog to change which leads me to the, to a question i want to ask you is um so you at the moment you don't have a dog so it was just um 
Cora. What was, got two. what was your other dog's name again? Kato was my husband. Kato. Yeah. yeah. So when he yeah. passed, now you have another. Yeah, you still have two dogs at the moment. I've somehow collected two little Chihuahua Pomeranian things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, awesome. And um, where's our Nookie? Our Nookie should be around here somewhere. Is she here? The whole time she's hanging out here. Um, <laughs> and um, okay, cool, awesome. And how long have you had them for? I've had Pippi. Pretty much since I ah, oh, there we are. <laughs> I've had Pippi pretty much since I started the kennel. Oh, nice. Sorry, we worked. Uh, out. She was um, abandoned <laughs> here. She was thank touch wood. She was the only dog that's ever been left here. Um, the owner just wow. never came back for her. For real. But she was yeah, she was a puppy. Uh, so I took her into the house because we had Easter coming up and we, our kennels were full and I didn't know what to do with her. So I took her into the house and she just got along with Kato. So she just never left. Awesome. And then, um, as I was speaking to you earlier, Panos, um, my mum had a stroke a couple of years ago and she has three little Pomeranian cross things. And because yeah. she had the stroke, I took one of them on just to give her, ease it up, yep. give her a little bit of a break. And she's never left either. So okay. <laughs> they're, they're kind of helping me through this uh, part of not having Kato. Cause I have, for, it was, it was uh, hard losing Kato. Because I didn't realize how much I relied on him. Yes. Was he was he sick or was it was it just his his age? No, and uh, he wasn't sick at all. He was amazing. So I I kind of I'm kind of happy the way he did go. He he just he had a brain hemorrhage in his sleep. Oh right. So um, very quick, very peaceful. Um. Well, at least that's what the vets tell me, and I hope they're not lying to me. <laughs> but um, he didn't spiral or anything like that. So, and a lot of us in the industry have lost our dogs in the last 12 months. You know, Brandon yeah. Cat lost Zuka and yeah. uh, my uh, my cousin lost her dog Shadow. I, I, lost, Ace, I also lost Ace last year. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, yeah. and you really um, yeah. I, I know when I do a private, I used to have Cato in the classroom with me, but I had him covered in a crate. Um, and most people didn't know he was there. Uh, and I liked having him in there for dog reactive dogs because it was a good way for me to see how they were. Yeah. I would just lift the lid up and, oh, there's a dog there. And Kato, you know, he will have a dog barking in his face in the crate and he won't flinch. Yeah. Um, and then now uh, I go to lift the crate open. Oh, shit, he's not there. And oh. Yeah. Sorry, and, man. You know, and Sucks. being part of the kennels, his photo is everywhere. I mean, I mean it's everywhere. <laughs> Literally everywhere. Hey, so, show that closer to the camera. I love that. Oh, got to stand up for it, really. Yeah, that's sick. beautiful. I was uh, supposed to get another one of him next week, but I go to Queensland for him, so I can't do that. It's been postponed to August. Oh, now. for are real. Ta- are tats back on the menu yet with COVID? Uh, no. Mm. I know I was trying to book I him. Think it, I think it depends on the stakes, though. There but they're taking booking, but they're not sure. I was trying to book him my next one for a few weeks, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's It's, it's hard to do that so at was, social distance. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird though. Like I don't see that. Like you can have ten people at a funeral, but not one on one person in a tattoo parlor. Mm-hmm. I think as long as you're wearing probably like a surgical mask and should be all right, you know. Yeah, I mean, South Australia is really good. We've got no cases here at the moment. We haven't had any cases mm. for quite a while. Yeah, you guys have done well. So, yeah, probably because we're not as populated as you guys. For yeah. sure, you didn't have any cruise ships. Adelaide, Adelaide playing, put a win. Like, yeah, hundreds of people infected on them. That's well. true. But on that, we've, you know, we are as trainers expecting quite a bit 
I'm not quite a bit. It'll be interesting to see when people do go back to work what happens with dogs. Yeah. Um, you know, so many We're have been about. home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Separation anxiety is going to come up, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, stuff like that. Um, it's happening already, think, I'm saying. What, what you were saying before, um, you're, it was called pandemic puppies, right? Like, you know, these, yeah, pandemic these puppies, dogs yeah. are being, their critical period is taking place in such a like unprecedented time. So, you know, probably. Well, more- honestly, it's kind of, it's going to be really interesting because I find when a lot of people get puppies, they spend far too much time getting their dog to like other dogs and not enough time getting their dog to like them. Yes. But because mm. of this stuff, they've probably done it accidentally right. Yeah. So I don't think it's been a terrible thing for dogs. Uh, it's kind of how they prepare that transition. Um, What's you know, that we do know. If you're going to be at home, yeah. bro, just keep him in the backyard. Why do your work yeah. inside? It's the easiest thing in the world. So people are freaking out, but they just they don't seem to make the connection. But you can put the puppy in another room for five minutes and train that. That's yeah. And we talk about socialization. More people are walking. There's dogs everywhere. Like, okay, the dogs may not be playing, but they're still seeing what they're going to be seeing anyway. So people yeah. will find the excuse regardless. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I just think people are leaving their puppies at their feet all day while they're working and then they're going to disappear again and, and it confuses them for sure. Them up, and, them. and we know that there's a lot of people who get puppies, they take time off work to have the puppy, which really isn't the best thing to do because that's not your lifestyle anyway. So they yeah. give a... Uh, unrealistic expectation for the dog uh but you know like yeah okay you've got a puppy and you can't go out and socialize that much but cool you've got tools in the backyard that you can be exposing your dog to uh, i think brent was taking a video of his new puppy mr smith eating his meal on a busy street with traffic mm-hmm. with cars yep there's so much you can do and i think that's what scares us a little bit about getting a puppy there is so much and how much exactly can I get in a day? that's um, so true yeah, and uh, with one of those chow chow puppies we had in recently uh, came in on a day when we had a storm, so it was a thunder and lightning and a lot of rain, and yeah, straight away, it's awesome! What an awesome opportunity! Let's get out there and exactly just played, just played in the rain and had Love a ball. It. You know, You're a champion. So, experiences in the storm. He didn't give a rat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he just Why wanted to he? play, and that's awesome. That's you know exactly what, what yeah. we wanted and what we asked for. Um. But there's so much stuff, and you know, we talked about technology before. We, you know, there's YouTube. There's so many things on YouTube we mm. can be playing, and mm. but with in regards to socialization, I know socialization does mean physical interaction to some degree, of course. But you know, unless you've got a really good adult dog, I don't see a lot of massive benefit to the physical contact because mm-hmm. it's only going to take one nip or one pounce that hurts a dog, and then they start having a negative connotation. Yeah, but enjoying your puppy around other dogs, but them focusing on you, I think is one of the better ways to do it. 100%. I don't care if my dog likes other dogs as long as they mm. like me, but I do care if he tolerates other dogs. Yeah. Mm. Well, I say to my clients, yeah, that is an important yeah. distinction. I, I, I think, think um, it was early days. I thought Kato was, I thought Kato was dog reactive. Um, I think it was, Brent, Brent, no, it was Brad Griggs, I think I mentioned it too, and Brad was asking some questions. He had a look, and he kind of just said I was an idiot because, <laughs> because what I was doing was I was using Kato a lot uh, in my training, and obviously I had some really dogs with bad behaviors, and I was forcing him into them, Yes, and uh, he got annoyed. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that he was dog reactive. He was just getting fed up that I kept putting him in those positions. Yeah, And then as soon as I stopped it, as soon as I managed it, Good. it never happened. You know, and never I, was the same thing with same thing with spades. There's moments where you know, and as I said, you know, the only way you're going to know that is through experience, right? 
but I'm talking about socialization. I, I told my clients a big one of the biggest chunks of socialization is your dog to learn to be calm and comfortable and to ignore the dogs around them, not to necessarily yeah. play all the time because now you make him antisocial because he wants to annoy everyone if that he comes yes. past dogs related. Um, and you talked about before about well, we talking we about dog daycares. So yeah. um, uh, we have a really cool dog daycare uh, company down here, Dog City, which is the one I started at. Uh, but different owners now, and they're really, really cool. Um, but I think some of the behaviours that we see these days, particularly dog reactivity, a lot of these dogs go to these kind of social activities and, you know, they walk in, they're overexcited, they jump in, they're screaming, they're so excited to be there, and then, boom, they get rewarded playing with a group of dogs. And then you see those same dogs on lead, uh, generally with bad lead manners, and they see another dog on the street. And to that dog, that means they get to play. This is what we do. Exactly. I see dogs, I get to play with them. Mm-hmm. So they, they build a lot of frustration. And then over time, when they see other dogs, they just, boom, they feel frustrated. Yep. And then so eventually, so dogs, a lot of, and you'd know that too, panels, like a lot of dogs that I see with dog reactivity stem from dogs liking dogs. Yes. And, uh, and then the frustration built. It's not always exactly. just the dog has always hated a dog or had a negative connotation with a dog. It's because they liked playing with dogs. And now it's like the kid having the tantrum that you've taken away from the yeah. playground. He's screaming and carrying on because he doesn't like exactly. And well, then you learn. Oh, and nice. then now the dog sees dogs. Yeah. I was asking panels just the other day. I'm, I'm in the section on the note, you know, the NDTF notes right now about desensitization. And it's like, I'd always assumed that desensitization assumed that it was a negative reaction. <laughs> You said, well, no, it means it could go either way, right? So you don't necessarily want, like you're saying, you don't necessarily want the dog to be um, overly stimulated and excited to meet every dog yes. that it comes across. It should just be a flat. Yeah, we walk past. It's neutral. Yeah, yeah. There's a dog there. Yeah. You don't say hi to everyone. Like, you walk past. Correct. As a human, yeah. like we don't go and like I don't just talk to strangers in the street unless I and touch them and to, jump or, on them and pull their hair. Of correct. Course. No. Um, yeah. I took a, you see, our Tibetan Mastiff out this morning to uh, – to an area I thought wouldn't be a bit quiet, but it really wasn't. There's everyone else out with their dogs. And um, and he, he just, he walks past people and dogs. He just could not care less. Yeah. You know, uh, he saw a goose though, and that kind of flipped him. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Cato was nine and I was still socializing him and exposing him to as many things as I could. I will, only a couple of years ago, we were driving down a country road and I saw a donkey in a field. And nice. I knew he'd never seen a donkey because I'd never seen a donkey in real life. So he pulled over. Yeah. So I just pulled over, <laughs> yeah. did some training, Good. donkey came over, he couldn't Love care it. less. Good he joking. knew it was there, he could smell it was there, he could see it was there, but he was focused on me. And yeah. Boom, in the car and off we went. So looking for those opportunities mm. is important. You talk about that too. Um, it's training, finding training opportunities in your daily It's there life. every moment. Yeah. Every mo- there's opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do not need to wait for them. You can make them. I mean, and that, that happened you know, with Spades. We went down that bush and we just went out to just appreciate the view and he saw a goat. Now he's seen other animals but never seen a wild goat. Mm. And yeah. He just saw it. The goat ran. He goes shit, and he and like and he doesn't chase do- animals. Like he's not that dog, but he's like just prey drive kicked in. He goes fucking yeah, and he just chased <laughs> yeah. it. And I'm like oi, and he turned back. He goes oh, I don't even know why I did that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like come back here. Where are you going? So, so we got all these dogs scared of fireworks, um, which generally happens New Year's. You've got all year to play your dog the sound of fireworks exactly. while they're eating dinner. That's now right. that's not necessarily going to fix it. But at least you're giving every opportunity to prepare your dog for it. There That's should right. be no reason. Well, you, why saw, so many you said it, man. If it starts mm-hmm. um, storming, go out in the rain and go for a go yeah. for a run. Make make it or a- crack open YouTube. 
Exactly. You know, like I'm, I'm pretty sure if you type in 12 hours of any sound, you'll probably Correct. find it. Actually, that was one of the things <laughs> we spoke to Glenn about. And I said to him, you know, what's a good tip at the moment during coronavirus? And he said, just make a, make a CD of like environmental sounds, you know, be that yeah. cars, trucks, no. Rain, of course, thunder, you know, but there's construction, so everything's yeah. still happening. Yeah. It's just you just yeah. can't go hug people with everything's still yeah. going on. in Sydney anyway, and probably the same. In well, uh, in we built um, for our Tibetan Mastiff, he, he really wants to hang out with us in our classroom, but we got no crate big enough for him, yeah. So, um, <laughs> we built him a custom crate. Well, wow. uh, so not only did we see that as a great opportunity to film that for our socials of us building it, but a lot of the puppies that will come in for the pandemic school we had them in my work area what they were doing training while i was grinding and welding and nice, all these perfect. kind of things um but yeah glenn's right yeah there's so much technology that you can find this thing and i really i really like our amy smith's um soundproof puppy training app mm-hmm. i use that quite a lot uh and you can record your own sounds you, you know so many dogs love their uh Ding dong at home, so bloody record that and play it plenty of times. Right. You know, we've I think a lot of people have forgotten how good Dr. Pavlov was <laughs> with mm-hmm. his pairing. So yeah. we need to do it the other way as well. Well, look, man, like the the point is, and I was going to say this before, is that well, one of the most important things that I teach um, puppies is teaching them how to learn. It's not necessarily <laughs> that they do a good recall and a down stay and a bed command. Like you teach it to them because those are the things that you teach. Just like you teach children A, B, C, one, two, three. They don't have to be writing essays anytime soon. You're just teaching them how to learn. So then, and that you do the yeah. same thing for us. You went and had a few different jobs and careers before dog training. But one thing that's important is that whatever you do, you should, um, everything you do should complement each other and you should find the connections yeah. and everything. Even if they seem face value completely opposite, there's connections in it because nature flows through everything and in every topic and subject. And, and well, I know when I'm looking for staff members for the kennels, um, my first people I look at is the fast food workers. I don't, I, I'm not massive on uh, opening the emails to say I, I just love animals because that doesn't help me a lot with mm-hmm. what we do. Yeah. So if they've worked in fast food or any kind of job that isn't animal related, that's the first thing I look at because they're going to bring life experiences to my facilities that yes. I can't teach that much. So, you know, if, if you know how to talk to customers and talk on the phone and do good emails and or work health safety, yeah, you're top of my list. I can train your dog stuff. That's easy. Um, yes. But Stuff that's like real life situations, I don't. And that's exactly what we do with puppies. Making a bomb-proof puppy to me isn't making them something that doesn't flinch at anything. It's about making them understand that they, uh, you know, if they do have a scare, that they recover. They know and, how to um, recover and they know that they're Yeah, they know how to cover to and they're good at exploring. They're good at trying. We don't want to crush their spirit. Yeah. And I think uh, that is where some people go wrong. They might go to a really freaking awesome puppy school that's all about building those dogs and you know teach them to learn exposure and then they go straight from that puppy school which is about building a bond to an obedience class mm-hmm. and and then it becomes all yes and no but generally it's always no 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 so they create this really awesome spirit in a dog and then crush it crush it too much yeah mm. yeah it's very you true know, man so i'm very big on trick training i love trick training i think if you know we're going to look at stuff like positive only reinforcement trick training is as close as we're ever going to get to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I said, I like teaching people to train the dog sitting on the couch. After a big day, I would train Kato to play poker, mm. you know, hold a deck of cards uh, while we sat on the couch. Wow. And that's that, all they wanted. That was one thing I was thinking it was, um, I could be wrong, but from memory, I'm pretty sure it was, it was jazz. 
on um, Canine Paradigm, and mm-hmm. she was talking about how you know, like most of most of what probably you guys do with clients is is stopping things, stopping yes. problem behaviors rather than, rather than teaching dogs what to correct, do. Correct. Whereas she's like, I love to teach dogs to actually do things and to do cool things. Like you can train your dogs to do really cool shit if you if you have put in the time and the effort. Well, well, let, why not? Yeah. You know? I want to dig I, into I'll that. See if I can for you. Oh sure. Oh. Oh, that's sick. That's what we do at the end of the night. (laughs) That's sick. And I I think that that comes to, I've I've had a few people ask me, um, how do we get creative? Like with our, because we do a Harry Potter class, we do circus classes and that. And how do we come up with our ideas? And I think the most important thing when being creative in anything, including dog training, is just don't say no. Mm -hmm. I never say no. So uh, can my dog unpack my suitcase when I come home from a trip? Yes, he can. Is he going to fold them nicely and put them in the closet? No. But, you know, I, I, just, I taught Cater to do that. He'd fling open the suitcase and he'd toss all my clothes across the room and I'd laugh and I'd reward it because it was mm. funny. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, uh, I think we, we do a skill in their circus class called Tada, where we offer our knee and the dog jumps on our knee and we go Tada. Mm. And it was something Cater was never fond of. He liked to stick his head underneath my leg, so we just ran with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was his skill. And another one we taught, uh, we teach the dogs to give the owners a kiss on the cheek. Uh, so I tried to demo that with Kato and I go, Kato, kiss. And he just turned his head away from me every time I tried to do it. So we made that the trick because yeah. that was funny. Yeah, exactly. uh, I want him to kiss me. He's like, no, not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love your social media stuff, man. You got awesome humor. It's just, it's educational. It's fun. And, um, and you really get your point across and your information out there. Um, I really, really enjoy it, bro. Gonna keep that up. I think we're seeing a lot of stuff in humor. I think humor is a great way to train. I think Definitely. humor is a great way to educate. Um, metaphors are always good, but if we can make people laugh, even yes. with the serious stuff, uh, and enjoy dog training, I think that's going to benefit the dogs better because we're going to see them do it more often. Definitely. I'm going to ask you a question by telling you some a statement first before asking the question. Um, and I put something on Balance Symposium the other day. I, I was just merely curious and I wanted to see what other people were going to say and maybe I'll ask you and see what you say. So there's a call yeah. that I know we've done um, puppy training or like young adolescent training about a year and a half ago. She's getting to about two years old now. She's intense, bro, like full on, you know, you know, coolies, right? Um, <laughs> and everything was good. He was coming to work with him. He was a landscaper and, but things have changed a bit. They moved and then she's, um, one wife's working from home or twins are on the way. So, there's going to be a big adjustment. In the last four weeks, there's been some intense shadow chasing, light chasing. Um, I did get some, um, they did say that when they were really young, when the pup was really young, they did a little bit of laser chasing, which is obviously going to create that. Um, but they didn't do it for a long time and it only just started happening. Now, as, as Luke was saying just before, I'm employed to come to stop the dog from chasing shadows, but I have to look at it going, well, let's look at what's going And I want your take on this in terms of the question is like, how do you give your dog a job? I'm all about the dog needs a job. How do we fulfill that? Because most behavioral issues are a manifestation of a lack of mental physical stimulation, along with other things, bad experiences and genetics. And, you know, the list goes on. But generally, if we're not giving that dog that fulfillment, we're going to see ways of it finding its own purpose. And in this case, it was intense shadow chasing. But it was in one session, I was there for the hour and a half and I gave him a few things like obviously um it, and it can be very hard as you can know and i want your opinion as well on how you would treat shadow chasing but i said to him look 
a normal dog, 45 an hour a day is pretty good exercise. Try to use as a minimum. For her, she needs more because she wants to chase and herd sheep and stuff, right? Um, I say bed. She runs to that bed with so much enthusiasm and ignored the lights. So I think she's just doing the light stuff. I think there's a predisposition to it. Um, but also she's like, well, like it's just so fun and it's an endless game. I can keep herding sheep all day long and it's pretty fun. But the problem is that yeah. it makes them crazy and they get really scared and then we have to make executive decisions about their life sometimes or how much they're medicated because we've let it go for too long. Um, so I gave him a whole range of things like maybe thinking of nose works and doing some agility and doing those extra trick training just to get her mind going. And when it comes to ball, like don't just throw the ball, make it work for it. It's a reward. And we go through all these things. And, um, just in that one session, I was pretty happy where she was going, even though there was like moments she would stare at the lights. I think she will come out of it because we've caught it quite early, but what's your take on, um, and how would you give people a dog, um, a job for their dogs? And also what you reckon about shadow chasing and, and light chasing? Yeah, it's a good one. I, I've, uh, I like a lot of Andrew Clark's work from Total Dog in mm-hmm. regards to the kind of behaviors. He's really a good one to listen to. Um, but with something like shadow chasing, what I think uh, makes it hard for dogs is there's no outcome. Yep. They can't get so they get very frustrated. But yes. if that dog is so easily disrupted by sending it to a bed, it's it obviously wants a job and you've yes. just given it yes. one and all of a sudden doesn't ignore it. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously with shadow chasing, it is about disrupting the behavior and then teaching it something as an alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we talk about stuff, particularly border collies, like people go, yeah, nose work and Julie, some of the people that have those dogs are probably not the keenest to do those kind of things. So I Because if they were, start, the problem wouldn't happen in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would I generally start if simple, very, very simple. And even if there's kids in the family, it's one of the only times I like kids in the family. I'm not massive with kids and dogs. But um teaching them a simple shake, something like that. Teaching a dog to shake can open the window to a lot of large skills. And there's a lot of like what we see as trainers as something that's really cool and fascinating as a skill uh, is not the same as a companion owner. Like uh, if your dog knows how to shake, you can train them to wave very easily. And uh, you show any owner that because it's something that dog can do at that console, you know, generally. Yeah. Uh, and if you can do that, it blows the owner's mind away. So if we can start simple with a simple shake, a simple conditioning, touching a bell or, you know, targeting, which I'm sure you'll get into soon, uh, touching a spoon or something like that. And then shit, wow, my dog can actually do shit. Yeah, your dog can, but not necessarily dump straight into something like nose work. And because I think sure. they get their hopes up, fail, and then they kind of give up. So True. Little, I agree. At time, there's some really cool books out there that I like to use for tricks. Um, Kara Sundance is uh, Dog Tricks 101 Dog Tricks, I think it is, is a really good one, and it breaks it up into really easy, intermediate, and expert, but breaks down the skills quite easy. And I and I like those for kids as well because it really explains it. But um, so going back to what you're saying, start simple, give not so much to dog successes but the owner successes let them feel some success with their dog and i think it will spiral from there and then they'll get into shit like nose work and agility maybe down the track but uh, also something we were talking during the week is when that dog isn't working what is it doing if it's got free range and it's allowed to do any of those behaviors when they're not looking or it's uh, not being supervised you're running up a 
a battle that you just can't win because it's just reinforcing. Self reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got all these tools. We've got all these tools out there to help us, but we need to start pulling up our socks and utilizing them. We've got mm-hmm. crates. Bunnings sell great dog runs. Mm-hmm. We've got all these tools in the world, but we just either don't want to or don't know how to utilize them into a companion dog's world. So, you know, place training is a job. You know, having a dog sitting on the bed is a job. Sending your dog to a crate is a job. Teaching your dog to shake hands is a job. Anything that uses the brain. But I think what you said earlier too, like that dog would need like 45 minutes of exercise. I think physical exercise is important for dogs, but I don't think it comes even close to how important mental stimulation is for dogs. Yeah. And I find training a dog five to ten minutes is worth generally a good hour's walk for a lot mm-hmm. of these dogs because it's just, you know, you've got kids' panels and I'm sure uh, sometimes you've had that kid that just won't settle down so you chuck them in the car, drive around the block and it zonks them out mm. because all that mental stimulation, all the sights, the sounds and all that thing exhaust them. For sure. So, as I said, sitting on the couch for 15 minutes and training your dog to hold one card or touch mm-hmm. a card uh, will zonk a lot of those dogs. And you're eating your sandwich. You got the end of your crust. There's a two-minute training session there. You're heating your meal in the microwave for a couple of minutes. There's a training session there. You're waiting for the kettle to boil. That's a it's training about session. Being resourceful, and we have to teach owners how to be resourceful rather than yeah. being just a mere follower. Oh, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. It's like no, I want to teach you how to be a dog trainer for your dog. Yeah. So then you can understand so the concepts. That, that's about teaching them to mm-hmm. be creative. Exactly. It's not so much about teaching them to be a dog trainer, just teaching yeah. them to be creative that you can True. do this. Yeah. It's possible. You know, I, I know when uh, you do your complex skill for the NDTF, you know, one of the options is get a beer from the fridge. And people go, oh, my God, that's amazing. And, yeah, it is amazing, but you don't have to. You could just teach a dog to touch them. I taught Kato to turn on my PlayStation for me just because why not? Because I was a lazy fuck and I didn't want to go to the couch. You know? Exactly. Um, Post-it notes. Post-it notes are a great training tool for tricks. Just go get some post-it notes. And there's a thousand things you can do with them. Um, There's a really cool, and I might have it if you're lucky. (laughs) I bet you I've moved it. I've got a, uh, yeah, probably have. Thanks. Of course. Um, You know, Edward de Bono wrote uh, some really good books about being creative and brainstorming. so I don't necessarily think that's something the owners need to do, but as trainers, I think we do need to learn just how to be creative and teach them. Just teach them something, anything. Sure. It, it generally blows their mind away. Teach them yeah. the spin. Yeah. I love a good spin in a dog. Uh, spin can lead to so many things, uh, and including OCD behaviors if you don't do it right, but not as bad as people think it does. Um, no, exactly. But if that dog's got laser chasing, just got to take a mind. Uh, Tribal or tribal, I never know how to say it. That's a really good option. Have a few chickens. Teach them to herd chickens. Something like that. Well, look, man, when I teach. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah. No, you're right, man. Look, the reason why I I make a big deal about the walk because I know how it is with most. Oh, a structured walk is still very important. It's the most, and something that's going to happen every day. And in amongst the walk, maybe before the walk, we do our five minute training session covering some of the basics or doing those extracurricular tricks, you're just stimulating that dog's mind. And yeah. what we see is we're not just trying to constantly fix um, fix the problems, but we're teaching owners how to give our dogs a job. And um, and I yeah. see that from how you teach and hence why I resonate with, with um And with I think you. when we look at something like um, dog reactivity, 
if if the companion owner still has that belief that they need to walk their dog every day and they've got a reactive dog, that's not going to gel. Mm. So, if, you know, if you do have a reactive dog, I know I have a lot of clients that come in and they, their dog is dog reactive and I say, how often do you walk on dog? And they go, oh, we do it every day. And I'm like, you need to stop, mm-hmm. okay, because the dog's terrible on lead and it's reacting at every thing that moves. You're just reinforcing it. You're making it hard. Stop walking the dog. And they look in their face like, well, what do we do? <laughs> a thousand things you could be doing. Not only your obedience skills and your crate training, your place training and your leash skills, like teach, teaching a dog to walk is like any other skill. It needs to be trained mm-hmm. in a low distracted environment, do it in your backyard. But anything as well, you know, anything, just condition a marker at least, yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. But uh, I, that's why I really like the layered stress model too. Yeah. Um, who, I think it was Chad Macklin and, and JJ. And JJ that introduced yeah. that to us. I think we were at the same seminar. Yeah. Uh, I've ended up using that quite a bit. I think it's one of the best ways to explain to people it's a good one. the process. How does, that that work? How does that work for people who don't know what that is, including me? So the layered stress <laughs> model um, is uh, layers. So what it is, it's just different elements that you need to address on your dogs every day to day, including health, lifestyle. Now you're going to test me. Uh, health, lifestyle, clarity, leash skills, and triggers. Mm-hmm. And if one of them is compromised, it pushes it up. Mm. above the threshold so if your dog's triggers are pushed it goes above threshold that's why you're seeing behaviors but if we address all those elements it should push the triggers underneath the threshold so we don't see it as much mm-hmm. so um and health is obviously a very health is the first one on that because obviously if there's a health issue that needs to be addressed first mm. uh it's almost a little like bit, uh, a little bit like maslow's hierarchy of needs then isn't it yes so, yeah. yeah um Sure you got to have a foundation. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've, I find that's a really good one. I, I yeah. use that, the laid stress and the hierarchy of control quite a bit. Before I show Luke. Oh, yep, I'll that's the one. There. So I'll put it on YouTube the video. Is, yeah. We'll put it up. Yeah. And then you can that's put the it one. Yeah, it's a good one, man. And it's really important. Like a dog I saw a little dash down yesterday, I'm um, getting really upset with people and they just found out the dog had a double earache. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're really bad, um, so ease. And of course, you're going to be reacting. He's already a reactive dog to begin with. Um, just the other day, like when it comes from summer to winter in that transition, I get like tightness, a little bit of sore chest when I'm breathing, you just do, from, yeah, yes. like from hay fever and asthma and stuff. And for like two days, like every breath, has that little bit of a bit of, a bit of fa- a pain or like, you know, discomfort. So every, so then I'm working all day, keeping my composure. I get home, missus says something and I'm like, the fuck do you want? <laughs> and then she's like, yeah. what is wrong with you? And I'm like, look, straight up. I'm sorry. This is what's happening. Yeah. I've, every breath is sore yeah, doctor, yeah. and breath, exactly. Yeah. And boom, we see that. And then because not, the dog I'm can't not, say I'm that. Very, I'm famously not a patient man myself, but I know if I'm tired or uh, <laughs> my back is sore, it's, it's even smaller so 100%. Um, but that you know we need to look at that in people like i know there's a, that push-up challenge going on at the moment for mental health mm. awareness something that uh, brent House is doing quite well um we need to look at that in people as well yes. you know uh, if they're having outbursts don't always think that they're just a nasty arsehole you know sometimes they got shit going on as well exactly um you know i i have you know i have boarding dogs here and i stress about them from day one till day they leave, you know, because, you know, people have entrusted you with their beloved animals and it only Big takes time. one thing, you know. Um, but even like dogs, one of the things I find hardest as a trainer is when, I don't know if all trainers do it because they don't have the luxury like I do, 
sometimes there's dogs that I just take on, like they're not going to fit in that home. It's going to be hard for a rescue group to rehome them. Uh, I want a challenge with the behaviour, so I'll take them on. I'll let them live at my kennels and then I'll find home. But I think that's going to have to stop for a while because I've been very lucky that most dogs that have been uh, adopted out from me have ended up going to either dog trainers that I know Mm-hmm. Or um, people who board the dogs a lot know, so I have a lot of contact with them. Like you'll see the Tibetan Massive, I see him pretty much every day. Yeah, I remember seeing videos um, on your socials with him. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, he's he's great. He's an awesome dog, but he's a real bad resource gatherer. Mm. So if he was, and he's been adopted by one of my trainers, but if that wasn't, if she wasn't a trainer, I just, I have real big concerns adopting him out to anyone else because the safety aspect, the risk and the hazard is too high. It's huge, yeah. Not, yeah, not only like if they if he hurt someone, I, how how could I sleep? But no. also if he does hurt someone, what's going to happen to him? Well, this um, for the listeners, Tibetan Massives are like massive bear-looking dogs. They are literally yeah. the size of a black bear sort of thing, huge. And he is big. He's even yeah. big for that. Wow. And I don't think I've ever seen him to better massive to be honest in per, in flesh. Yeah. No, I haven't. No, neither have I until um I got called out for this guy. Where is he? There. Oh, be higher. Higher. Uh, uh, oh my is. god, look at a head next to the fucking dog. Yeah. <laughs> is he got a tie um, on? Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah he's, having a, he's having a professional photo show. He had to have a tie <laughs> um, That's huge. Uh, he's, you know, and he's not only if he, if he had no behavioral issues at all, even that's a risk just purely on his size. The size, yeah. yes. You know, I've had someone ask me, do we, um, do we deal with dangerous dogs? And I think we need to define what, what do you mean by that? Because. Mm-hmm. They're mean aggressive. Any dog can be dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, any dog in pain is definitely mm. potentially dangerous. Um, and that goes back to work or safety. I was doing some training with a local vet clinic and uh, I was talking about dangerous dog handling and that, and I just asked them where was their PPE, where's their gloves, and they had nothing. They didn't have wow. a single thing. That's safety. crazy. Um, and I'm like, well, that's the first thing we need to be getting. Because not only without the safety equipment, they actually make it a lot more traumatizing for the dog. Yeah, exactly. You know, four of them, four of them had to tackle a dog just to vaccinate it. You know, you two uh, need to keep talking. Pet- I need to go to the bathroom. So sorry. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I've you know I've seen some uh, vet clinics are now sedating dogs just to vaccinate them. Mm. You know, and it's just if we have the right tools and the right training, it's just not necessary. Do you find there's a do you find there's a common theme with the the dogs that you're dealing with that are reactive or that, that are aggressive? Is there a common theme with their background? Like, are there is a lot of rescue yes. dogs? Are they mostly rescues or no? I mean, no? if you go to our Facebook page, you can you can see a couple of dogs that we uh, dealt with. I call them rehab dogs, but I want to make it quite clear. I don't necessarily believe they've been rehabbed. Mm. They're just going through rehab because it's not a real short time limit. But there's a dog called Teddy. On there, and um, there's a, a Doberman called Rumi. Both of them been uh, quite nasty aggression cases. Mm. But the common scenario I'm finding a lot, a lot of those dogs is pure inactivity. So they're not necessarily they're dogs. Zero, that yeah, then they're not having their their mental needs fulfilled. They've never they've never had anything. Uh, there's another one, Gunner, yeah. that we dealt with. as a pity. Uh, they've just had nothing in their early days. They've still got nothing. Uh, and that's not necessarily the owner's fault. It's probably lack of education, but that comes down to us as well. Mm. We need to be a little bit more open and speaking. But a lot of the, the common scenarios I see with those kind of dogs is pure inactivity. Uh, I've 
I, I, there's plenty of dogs out there who are, you know, human reactive or dog reactive because of abuse or mm. a nasty incident. But I see a lot of it stems from just they've purely had of. nothing, just but, nothing. Do you think that's more with? <laughs> is that generally more with larger dogs? Do you think people because no. it's hard? No, no, okay. No, well, you look at the little dog syndrome that people always say about little dogs, but yeah. that's purely because they've done nothing. They're just sitting on that person's oh, lap from day dot. They've had no exposure, mm-hmm. no training, no mental and physical enrichment. They sit on the lap and then, oh, they got little dog syndrome. Um, I know when I got these two little chihuahua brats that live with me, uh, they have everything. I expose them and they're still yappy <laughs> because, but that's the way my lifestyle set out. But they're confident. Yeah. But if yeah. The, uh, little Tilly, uh, who was my mum's dog, uh, she used to, when I go visit my mum, would bark her head off. And then obviously my mum would pick her up and give a little smack on the bum and say, don't do that. But she had no idea that she was getting that because of the barking. Mm-hmm. She, she, all she understood was every time this wanker comes over, I get smacked. I hate him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when she came to live with me, uh, she just lived under my TV cabinet three days. She was terrified of me. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think that's the same. We got people need to understand that's the same thing with the postie. We mm-hmm. bark at the postie and then he goes away. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. That works. Reinforced. And then right. dogs are so good at telling themselves stories. There must be a reason I should bark at this postie because every time I do it, he goes away. He must be mm. a scary character. Yeah, exactly. You know, and my barking's valuable. It works. Mm. Yeah. And if we don't use those management tools, we don't use the training, they will continue to tell themselves those stories and it won't always be the story you want. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. well, look, man, like most of the ways that dogs fulfill themselves instinctively don't align with our values. So yeah. um, so that's why we call them behavior problems, but they're, they're just problem behaviors. Yeah. It's just a, it's yeah. a yeah. that happens to be a problem, yeah. you know, like well, for the human, not a problem. Yeah, if you were a wolf yeah. like this bloke and if you weren't biting yeah. people, you're fucked, man, because you, your whole pack's <laughs> gone. You got to have that I think, mechanism. I it. think it was Cat Saunders. Um, I came across my first uh, sibling syndrome case. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, sibling syndrome, you know, I was, and I left the consult and I was straight on the phone to Kat. I'm like, Kat, I've got sibling syndrome. Um, what do I do? And Kat's like, what do you mean? So, well, what do I do? And she goes, train the dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. What is that? You know, you know, define sibling syndrome for us. The uh, best way I kind of define sibling syndrome is when you have two dogs that are developing, uh, they because they've always got each other, you're talking about sibling puppies. No, I don't always find it sibling puppies. I think it's just puppies a lot okay, of the time. Together. It's just puppies together. Yeah. Um, obviously, it is the, the real syndrome is for puppies. But I find that a lot of the same behaviors happen with just two puppies developing. Yes. Because they always have each other, they never kind of fully form in their own That's right. development. We just, that we just release an episode talking about getting two pups at the same time. So they're siblings. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and then cool. they just build a lot of behavior from there. But Anxiety I think it's also... Yeah, it's misdiagnosed a lot as well. But it doesn't matter. Like we say like a lot of these dogs that we get, is it genetic problems or is it because we've development? It doesn't matter. We still gotta train it. Exactly. You know, there's, there's a, you'll see his guarding behavior, I think, is a little bit of his Tibetan in him. Um, mm-hmm. particularly as he as the night if as it gets darker, we see it a lot more. No, wow. Um you know, we you know we see a lot of these behaviors that are genetic, but it doesn't matter. We still got to train it exactly because we've got these dogs Love and it. we're trying to fit these square dogs into our round hole of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've had dogs for hundreds and hundreds of years, and 
we've always had them and we've bred them for work and jobs and then all of a sudden this technology boom and everything like that, we don't need them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still being bred for that. Yes. But we need to find the alternatives. Yeah. What were you talking Tyler before Muda, about? Sorry, go ahead. Tyler Muda has a really good video on a rehab case. I forget what the breed was, but just taught the dog to pull a wagon. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was pretty much all he did, and it really helped the dog. Like one of those kids' wagons. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Bro, it's like you know, we're hunter gatherers. We're meant to be hunting and gathering, and it's not very long ago we were doing it, and now we don't have the need to do it, so we don't, and hence why we see so much dysfunction, mental, physical illness, whatever it is, it's starting to manifest because we're not honouring what it is that our DNA wants to do. Mm. And what yeah. I learned from dogs years ago was. I'm trying to stimulate these these um these dogs mentally and physically, yeah. And I and I not only try to do it for myself, but I'm I'm trying to find well, where am I doing it, and then where am I not doing it? Because there's a connection. We said before, everything has to be relatable. And if you're filling it, fulfilling your dog's needs, or if you sorry, rather you make sure you fulfill all your responsibilities, but we forget to do it for the animal, which makes no sense. Um, and what you said before about small dog syndrome, the reason why I my theory is why small dog syndrome exists is because if she was to bite somebody or your little chihuahua dogs were to bite somebody, they hurt them, but they don't them. kill them like the Tibetan Mastiff or the Roddy or like the other larger, more powerful breeds. So people know innately that they have to control the big dog more where the little dog, they let it be because they think, oh, it's little. It doesn't need that much exercise. It's like, no, man, the Jack Russell needs to run like crazy, even though they're small. You know what I mean? And we see the size thing. Yeah, we, we underestimate them. And then, like, you look at there was that lady in WA who was uh, killed by a couple of Dachshunds. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Well, I saw that. That was, you know, that was interesting. My family has well, a. We had a, we had a local lady, uh, I think it was last year, who was killed by the family rooster. Really? Um, he's, she, uh, the rooster oh, scratched the varicose vein on her leg. Wow. And, uh, and, so, you know, although they're small, uh, we can't That's, underestimate them. That is a very good point. I like that. Wow. Um, Poor lady. And Yeah, it was a real sad right. story, but I think it's a bit of an eye <laughs> at the same time. Well, man, like <laughs> now, like I, dog? yeah, bro, I used to get bitten so, man, so much, not so much, but more than what I get bitten now. It's because eight years ago, I was a little bit more heroic i was a bit younger i'm like screw it i got this if he bites me it's all right and ideally it'd be nice if the dog strikes you and you don't move and the dog's like shit that didn't work and it's like hey man let me help you where now well i've been bitten and then sent to hospital with an infection and pull cartilage out and my fingernail removed and like now like i try to get bitten as least as possible and and through that you learn more about the dog about because what someone else is going to let their dog bite them like there's there's um there's a there's a sense of practicality and and being safe as you said and look sometimes you get bitten you're a bloody dog trainer you, you get bitten that's just life yes. but um but not putting yourself in a situation where like well if he bites me it's okay for now you you got to have that sense of management and sense of of forward planning and that forward planning is what makes the results more longer lasting because we're we're actually addressing the cause issue rather than um, you know, because I, me and you can handle a dog differently than Jane down the road. So we have yeah. to, we have to train as if we're Jane, not as me. And I think a, a lot of that, like I, I, I've had one serious dog bite uh, that put me in hospital for three days. And that was about six months after I graduated from the NDTF. Mm-hmm. So, Shit. you know, I think <laughs> courses like that 
do need to give a little bit of, I'm sure they do now, so obviously it's been 10 years since we did it, um, a little bit of a reality check in regards to that because I know I came out of the NETF thinking I'm King Dick and I know mm-hmm. absolutely everything there is to know about dog training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I caught this bite that put me in hospital and a lot of my family were encouraging me to give it up mm-hmm. when I was in hospital, which kind of made me go the opposite way. I'm like, well, fuck you. I'm going you know, <laughs> to do it more. But it was that point when I kind of had that reality check that I do know shit. Mm-hmm. So I ended up calling my aggression instructor, which was Fred Griggs, and calling other trainers and going to learn with them and shadowing them and all that kind of thing. So although I don't wish a dog bite on anyone, it was really me the apex of where my real education yes. started. Yeah. Um, however, I also think if we're going to manage the dog's behaviors with the hierarchy control and work our safety in that, if we have those things in place even for us, there really isn't a reason why we should be bitten if we do things right exactly um, and tyler mudo does a really good video about his board and train where a lot of people who put dogs in board and train might feel a little bit dismayed that their dog doesn't do the behavior when they're with the trainer but that's the point we, we don't want to see the behaviors exactly uh, i've had some people who comment on our rehab videos of us sitting on the other side of the fence with the dog and they're like they're only doing that because the fence is there no, I can guarantee you those dogs are not doing it because the fence is there. But the <laughs> fence is there for twofold. One, so the dog doesn't hurt us. But two, so the dog sees the behavior doesn't work. Yes. So like things like resource guarding, aggression. If you're seeing those behaviors, you're a bit up shit creek without a paddle because A, you don't want to be hurt, so you're going to leave. So that reinforces the behavior. Or... You try to punish the dog or something like that, and the dog goes, well, that's why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So you need to manage it so it doesn't happen together. And like I've not been bitten since, touch wood. Beautiful. Um, I've been bitten by a cat, okay. <laughs> but not so much a dog. Yeah, savage. Um, yeah, the cats can be savage. <laughs> but if, you know, some trainers, I do know some trainers that walk around like with bite wounds and scars as if they're medals. To me, that's a reminder that I I effed up and I effed up Ooh. bad. And luckily that yeah, that dog had some great owners that didn't give up on it, kept trying, and they That's did right. really well, really, really well with it. Well, every um, time I've been bitten, man, it's always been my fault, straight oh, up. Oh, yeah. It's never – it's just with anything that where the dog goes wrong. It's generally – it's not our fault. But I, I tell you one thing I found was great for my own confidence after the dog bite was I went uh, to Gold Coast to get my tattoo, and I caught up with the Gold Coast, Gold Coast Dog Club. And Michael Lissardi's is a great IPO trainer up there. Uh, he chucked me in a bite suit and let his champion dog do some work with me, and I absolutely shat myself. Oh, but man. I think it was a fantastic way to get over the fear of being bitten. Yeah. Um, not that I'm not scared of being bitten. Don't, I'm not at all. That's just furthering your desensitization, you le- basically. Yeah. But I think if you learn to take a controlled bite, it helps you with those kind of dogs. And Yeah. By the end of the session, I was exhausted, but I was also far more worried about hurting the dog than the dog hurting me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I recommend if anyone does have the opportunity to do something like that, particularly in the industry, have a go because it's oh, great man. rush. The, yeah. the bruises you can't. How do you get a bruise under a massive thick bite sleeve? That yeah. dog is biting. That's the pressure. Wow. I, didn't, I, I don't know. I didn't even see my arm the next couple of days and I just I took my shirt off. I'm like, Jesus, black and blue. But it's I, intense. I, I, 
Yeah, it was brilliant. Such a great experience. Yeah. I can see why they get addicted to it. 100%. Um, but I think it gives you a lot of respect of not only the power of the dog, but also how good those dogs are trained. Yeah. Right. So when that dog is in full mode, just biting your arm, and then Michael would say out and bang, straight away, bang. out. You know, uh, just brilliant. How good's that? I reckon Pat's dog could do some serious damage. Yeah, yeah. man. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> I, 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 the last bite I, I received was, um, oh, I forgot the dog's name. It's one of Glenn's, um, like it was a club's dog's. Oh, the big shepherd. Oh, man, that dog was so fucking powerful mm. and scary, yeah. man. I'm like, I was in a full suit, so I didn't feel that scared. But mm. still, like he's massive and just that, that bite. But I love the precision. I love the, the, the control. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why, like when, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't raise any working dogs or even train in working no. dogs, but watching the working dogs um, and like in the, the trainers teaching the seminar, first of all, one thing that I realized years back was, all these guys are increasing drive and I'm realizing that I'm like just d- diminishing drive from dogs, which yeah. is what we need in pet dogs. But when you know how to turn it on, you know how to turn it off and then vice versa. And it's, um, and then also there's times where that dog has the drive. Let's, let's put it in a particular moment of when now we're going to play tug and this is how we do it. When I say it's done, we're finished. And then that's the fulfillment as we go, went back and talked about last. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the uh, clients we have have dogs that, um, lashing out with reactivity but that's when they're in arousal but then we only train the dogs when they're not in arousal so if you really want to have control you need to train your dog in some form of arousal to have the ability to handle that yes um but sorry i forgot what the question was now oh shit what are we talking about (laughs) i think we're just just hanging out but 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 you mentioned that I'll, I'll give a plug to another episode. Of, we talk about play with dogs and in, and with play to further your point is that when the dog's in that highly aroused state of mind, if you can get him to do precise things and have that impulse control, you're teaching him a passive activity will give you an active outcome. And then if you can learn to control it in other areas, something good will come anyway. And that, that's a handy yeah. to have in your own and, life. And now you've reminded me. Beautiful. Good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, before I did that, on play, like I, I spent a, a few uh, moments with Brent and watching him play with dogs and dogs in drive. Um, and play to me, out of everything that we learn with dogs, play to me is one of the most complex things to understand. Uh, it's just the more I delve into it, the more I don't really seem to understand it as much as I want to. So that's where I think the, the, the dog sport world is fantastic. Yes. Um, but you were talking about uh, like, Someone did ask in one of our groups panels about whether or not they, to be a good dog trainer, you need to have a dog that you do compete with. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of my answers to that was absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have sport dogs. I don't compete with my dogs. I'll be honest. I bloody hate that world of ribbons and shit. I just cannot stand it. It's just not me. I know there's some people who would love it and that's fine, but it's just not me. But just because I don't compete my dogs does not mean I don't challenge my dogs daily. Yes. I don't build on my dogs daily. I do the same thing those two guys do as well, not to their level, but I still challenge my dogs. But I learn a shit ton from that world as well. Mm-hmm. I take a lot of their stuff from that world. Uh, some great trainers like Tammy Peters and Sharonica Williams, um, to watch them work their dogs is just incredible. And then watch them take exactly the same stuff they do from the dog sport world and then apply it to behavior, mm-hmm. I think brilliant I, I, I learned a lot from those guys and i still do and that's learning those but principles think, still those core yeah. those core foundations yeah. yeah but i do not think you need to compete with a dog no to i don't be a think good so trainer. 
Uh, I, what, one thing I do love doing with dogs is training them something that they're not really designed for. So, mm. you know, when I was getting into uh, with Kato, I never sledded him. I never weight pulled him. He was a lazy shit with that kind of stuff. Um, but I love trick training him. I, and I will tell you, when I did my NETF, one of the instructors did ask me what I, what, what I had. And I said I had a husky and they laughed in my face and said, good luck. Oh, good um, one. Gave you more so, fuel, huh? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you know I, I know when I was getting a husky, there was plenty of people out there telling me, oh, you know, they're, they're escape artists and they're all this. And not one of them had a husky. So I don't know where they got that from. But I think that kind of That's challenge good is good yeah. for you. Yeah. 100%. But don't listen to other people too. Just say, I can't do IPO with my, my little chihuahua bullshit. I can to some degree. Um, of course. I'm not going to. But that doesn't mean she can't. Stop downing people and start building them up and well, building how, their dogs up. How, how about this um, This quote I saw? It was at the gym that I used to train at. It would said, can't is the cancer to happen. So don't yep. fucking say you can't do something. You do yep. it and then that's how it is. You give it a go and then you work from there. It depends on how much you want yep. it, how much you're seeing it. And and the truth is, and this is going to be a shit thing to say, but like most of the people that we see shouldn't even have a dog, period. If it was up to me, we know that. They like the idea of a dog. They just don't know how to practice. They fall in love with this, the story of having the dog. And look, and I'm not saying people shouldn't have dogs, obviously, and I love the fact that people have dogs because I love dogs and you love dogs. But we know that pe- most people, and, and this is a common thing to know now, is that most people will no- realise now that they don't have the time um, to have the dog. No, or they, they get the breed because it's pretty. Yeah. Um, but like the Tibetan Mastiff, you know, <laughs> like it's not always going to be the right fit for your world. Um, I think we need to be looking a lot more into the breeding world because um, I'm going to say some controversial things here. Some some of the backyard bred dogs that I get come through my place are sometimes genetically better Sound, than yeah. the real breeders. But I don't. I think what's going wrong with some of the breeding is we've stopped. Well, I know a lot of it. In here in SA, I've seen. Um, I see a lot of breeders breeding just for confirmation and look, and then and they're kind of forgetting the temperament side. Bro, you're going to get um, crucified. I, I met a, I met <laughs> someone during the week uh, who she just had her male dog at the vet clinic to um, impregnate the female, and the dog had a massive overbite, it had a, a terrible back, and it was incredibly aggressive to other dogs. So why are we breeding it? What are we doing? Like, exactly. Why? You know, but then I was being told it's a world champion dog. I'm like, oh, God. Cool. What a- cool. Um, <laughs> it's a, I, I know I know an amazing Malamute breeder down here uh, who just goes beyond what anything I've seen of any other breeder do f- to make sure her dogs are developed, confident, and uh, genetically perfect and all that kind of stuff and my hat goes off to her because it must cost her an absolute fortune big time so you know yeah i'll bag that but that's not there's not all people in one pond that is just oh, something no, I'm no way um kato was backyard bred dog yeah kato was backyard bred um i didn't know the stuff i knew back then so please don't come <laughs> chris it's a good point. So, you know, it's yeah. a good point but kato was better than some of the other dogs you know that yeah. i've ever seen with the huskies mm. it's a good point and they, because the, his breeders loved him you're saying, um, you know, like the the NDTF couple of trainers laughed, laughed in your face about having a husband. Yeah. A- yeah. And at the same time, people are, are now breeding, um, let's call them professional breeders, are breeding for 
for looks as opposed to maybe necessarily temperament. And then you get a backyard bred dog that comes through and has a better temperament or maybe exactly. it's not as good looking. So That's there's right. no, it's not black and white. You can have no no, one no. breed, one breed can have completely opposite expect um, results to your expectations. Well, just so everyone's listening. So all the dogs that I've had, Rocky was my first dog. He, he lived to within a year and a half because of his cancer. Um, he was like farm, um, farm dog bred. Um, Kelpie, Red Kelpie, he was awesome. Um, Ace was a mix from the shelter. Spades is a mix. And Nookie, I didn't raise her from a puppy, but she's from a client. She's a Maltese Pomeranian. So none of my dogs are like pedigree sort of, you know, right. they're all just been like the rescue sort of dog. But the next dog that I'm on, I'm, I'll, I'm on a waiting list for Monsimbi German Shepherd. So, you know, working line, working line German Shepherd. I'm going down that route because um, it's, it's what I've been wanting for a while. Um, and also for the experience and also to – um. And just my point of, of saying that is that we're not for or against. We put an episode talking about adopting versus shop. You know, what's the yeah. pros and cons to both? And just know the pros and cons, you know. That's really important. Well, someone asked me, why am I not adopting? Why am I getting Husky Puppy? Well, I spent the last three or four years uh, rehabbing dogs and giving them out to homes. This dog I want for myself. Exactly. I want the, the experience from a puppy. Um, and I don't believe one's better than the other. Exactly. But, you know, uh, we and our service, we know some amazing breeders uh, and do a lot of good gear with their dogs. But yeah, this uh, whole thing about adopting, not shopping—you know—it's not as great. Well, we we've got some laws now in South Australia uh, where dogs have to be the sex at six months now. Oh wow! Um, which is a stupid, stupid law. Oh right, it is. And, and I, I know some of the advocates for that law believe that's going to stamp out backyard breeding. Mm-hmm. But reality is it is not. No way. It's going no to way. push them further underground, underground yeah. make them more expensive. Mm-hmm. But it also only costs, I can't remember, it only costs about like 75 or $100 odd dollars to register as a breeder here mm-hmm. in SA. So it's not really going to do crap all. Exactly. Um, the other concern about that is I think some people are going to start believing that we don't need to train our dogs to stop them being aggressive or anything like that. We just need to be sexy. So stunt, stunt um, their growth, stunt their immune system, stunt their, their their performance mentally, and yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure there's been some studies on that law that has only shown that it's increased dog bite statistics. It hasn't decreased. Mm. It's yeah. a myth, right? That it actually, or is that particularly more with male dogs as well? That you assume that it's going to lower their testosterone and that okay, it lowers arousal levels. Talking about it, like yeah. he's seen example. I th- don't, I'm not going to quote him, but I'm pretty sure I heard him say there's been examples where it, it made whatever the problem was, it made it worse. Or well, that, maybe it didn't make it worse. Maybe well, it just had no correlation it, at all. But there's plenty of studies that show early detection can cause some medical issues, like major yes. extremities. Um, uh, but I know, I know when we talk about it a lot in our dog groups, Panos, like we, you know, really the consensus is from our groups is that you shouldn't have to dissex a dog unless you need to. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think we're all, when we discuss that, we've really got the hat on as a dog trainer and we're not thinking as a companion owner. And I don't think some companion owners can manage an entire dog. Yeah, that's Um, true. That's true. Ideally, there's so many, I know a lot of bitches that come to the camp with bitches and technical term bitches. Um, We have urinary issues and it certainly can be traced back to they'll be sexed at four Mm -hmm. months and something like that. Yeah. I'm seeing puppies, man, eight weeks old to sex because the breeders are doing it before they yeah. get out. Craziness. Yeah, I know, I know rescues do it as well. But, um, and I get the story. point. I totally get the point. But I just tell people, look, 
They asked me my opinion about dissexing. Look, I dissect spades at six months old. He got attacked. He was becoming very reactive. Um, so I thought that would help. And I had to be done anyway from like that was the terms and conditions of the shelter. Yeah. But I say now, look, wait till 12 months old, 18 months old. Then you can make your decision. And if you can deal with bitch coming in season, if you can manage your male dog that doesn't escape and impregnate another bitch in, in, in heat. And, you know, there is, I think there's something about two intact males get coming together. I find that there could be something, but there's loads and loads of dissex dogs that are still being aggressive. So it doesn't mean taking the balls out. Yeah, it's not black and white. It, it, no, it's so variable. It comes down to good the development, their training, always, the always. Totally. So many variables. Yeah. So many variables. But then, like, we look at, you know, we want to talk about breeders and that, uh, that, and that our industry as a whole is just bitchy. So, like, we've got a few husky breeders here in SA. Um, and I know from the breeder that I'm getting my husky from that some of them won't sell to me because one of them runs boarding kennels and I run boarding kennels. So oh. they must see me as some kind of competitor. Political um, shit. Yeah. yeah, all that kind of shit. And, uh, it's a bit short-sighted, isn't it? Well, the so, whole reason so. I ended up going with backyard breeding to get my first husky, and remember, that's before I knew what I know, um, it was because I was denied from breeders yeah, wow. when I was first looking for a husky. And, and why, that, yeah, why, look, why, they might why, have their reasons, and that's all well and good. Um, they, didn't, they didn't think my lifestyle suited the husky. Okay. Um, or they just flat out said no or something like that. But... I was forced into backyard breeding because I wanted a dog and I wanted it now. Like what yeah. everyone else wants. They want their dog and they want them now. That's right. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of dogs when we're selecting our dogs, you know, when we go to our, the first thing people go to with their puppies is the vet clinic, not to their dog trainer. Mm-hmm. And they do not see a dog trainer before they get the dog. They see a dog trainer after they get the dog. And, after yeah. and sometimes the cases too, right? that we get, mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes exactly. the cases we get, the answer is that dog is just not suited to you and your lifestyle. Mm. And now like, well, what do I do now? You miss the critical period by the time you see it. If you've listened to the vet uh, or, or a particularly conservative vet who says, don't take the dog out before seventeen weeks. Mm. Yeah, and, the- and some of the some of the best cases I've worked here in SA have been in conjunction with good vets. Mm. Like when Definitely. the vet and the trainer pull together, oh, some of the results we've had for those dogs have just been incredible because we're tackling it uh, training wise and medically wise at the same time, and Definitely. it's just a better outcome for the dog. So it is. A lot of us need to stop measuring our dicks and start working together a bit more mm-hmm. um we did a video on our facebook page uh, about selecting a dog trainer for you mm-hmm. and i made it I, well, I hope i did i tried to make it quite clear that we can learn something from any dog trainer whether you like their methods or not there's mm-hmm. something you can learn from them something you can add to your toolkit but we just need to be careful what we're selecting our trainers for so, yes you know, if i have a behavioral issue i need to find a trainer that understands behavior mm-hmm. um if i have a obedience issue then yeah go to my sport dog trainer and nut it out no. um just be careful what you're selecting because totally. you know some of the best dog trainers i've ever met are military dog trainers who left the military and then studied in behavior uh, like course any here um but just if they leave the military, I don't really see why they're training little fluffy wuffikins who's having toileting issues because they they may not understand that fully. Yeah. Um, but they're true, damn true. some of the best handlers I've ever seen. Though. Well, interestingly, Pat wasn't. He never handled dogs in the military. He no. was a commando, but mm-hmm. he yeah he had some exposure to it from what I've heard on their podcast. But 
he but never... Pat's a very fluid guy too. Pat's, and I think yeah. that goes back to full circle. We're saying I think Pat's the kind of guy who's creative enough to go find the answer and yes. investigate yeah. the answer. He's just this is what I was told. And this is how it's done. Yeah. Um, He's got I, a mission. I, I know yeah. Yeah, I definitely. Hundred um, percent. So, and that, and well, any of us in our circles, uh, Panos would be like that, really, because they're the ones who go to seminars. Yeah, exactly. That's how we know them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they always influence each friends. other. Like, and hopefully, this yeah. conversation and our peers are going to hear it and be influenced, or even new people, yeah. influenced by the fact that, yeah, man, we're obviously even if you were in the same suburb as us, we, we we're talking the same thing for education. We want to get it out there for people. We want people yeah. to learn um, that some of the things that you've said today. Um, I may not have said right now, but we have mentioned and talked about in other podcasts. We're hearing from other trainers. If if there's similar correlations and you have a sense of co- uh, common sense to kind of put those together, that's how it's going to help you and that and the listeners' dogs. Yeah, you know? so many of us are scared to ask other trainers, but you're doing a disservice to the dog by not doing that because if you can speak to other trainers, you're going to get much more pathways to follow. Uh, and I've got no. That's why I love the seminars because we make such great networks and we've got yep. questions. Like I know there's so many trainers we met at those seminars that I would have no issue asking a question, and I know they will give me either an honest answer or they would help me find it, and yes. they won't charge, yeah, you know, because that's the industry. Uh, a couple of my former trainers who've now moved on to their own stuff, you know, we we chat all the time about cases that we've got coming up or issues or uh, helping each other out. And it really comes right, down yeah. to that's because it's the best for the dog. Well, even just the that's day, what we I've, do it. Exactly. Well, I put the question out there about the shadow chasing. I had an answer and everything said, crate, yeah. introduce crate training and do this and practice that and think about X, Y, blah, blah, blah. And I asked the question because I want maybe another answer maybe or maybe someone yeah. else's perspective, but also it helps confirm where you're at. You're like, huh. Well, I did say that. That makes me feel good, but I'm still hungry for more knowledge because next year I have a different way of tackling it. Because I know two years ago yeah. I tackled it different than how I did it yesterday, and I think that's super important. Always, always trying to improve and just. Move. Well, I know um, the term engagement didn't really come up in my career until about five years in. I never Agreed. heard of engagement. I never yep. didn't know what it meant. Um, and it was when I first had Cat Saunas down here and I laid running a seminar, and a cat was talking about dating your dog and learning how to date your dog and if you can't get the second date you're not doing it right no, uh, love it. and when a cat came in she hadn't had a lot to do with huskies and typical cat was you know the lovely cat was like well i'm going to learn how to speak kato and you know she's out the back there talking to kato like a dog she's sitting out there going woo, 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 woo. and she got more affection from kato than i've i had mm-hmm. so it's really about that point where i stopped training too much i still trained every day but i spent a lot of time trying to just purely work on the relationship yeah totally enjoying each other that kind of gear yeah but it's going to be a good spark i think we can talk for like hours and hours but um <laughs> but i've had a really really cool time man um um in this yeah thanks for having today. me on guys Oh, it's been awesome. I'm happy um, to come back and finish it off for another We will, hours. 100%. We're going to hold you to that. When are you going to start your <laughs> podcast? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, as much as I'm seen as an uh, outspoken and a big performer, I, I really get nervous doing these kind of things. It's not mm. – but that's me being the dog and trying to push through the stresses. You can see like, I rock back and forth. Like, yeah. That's me stressing. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, um, you're smooth, bro. You're smooth. We love it. I, I thought that's about what this. we should be doing for our dog, you know, finding the things they find stressful and helping them through it. We only grow outside of our comfort zone. It's true. Yeah. 
So thanks, guys. Thanks for making it easy and less I've, stressful. I've thought about this a little bit as I spend more time with Panos. I think like Panos is more extroverted and I'm more of an introvert who, who can learn to be somewhat extroverted. If yeah, well, I'll finish on that for you because I'm introverted. Mm. But, and people go, so how do you, if you're so introverted, how do you do your circus class where you wear your pop out and you wear your mm. ring? Um, when I do that, that's a performance. That's Correct. not me. That's yeah. someone else. Yeah. And I know when I first started my group classes, I'd wear dark sunnies. Uh, I didn't have to look at people, mm. you know. We, fight, we have our ways to help us through those things. Yes. Uh, and that's the same as dog trainers. So, yeah, I am introverted, but I know how to run a class. And the more I do it, the better I get. For sure. And that is exactly what we should be doing for our dogs to make them 100%. more resilient. You're yeah. a fucking legend. Man. I'll, I'll, yes. Can I, ask, I want to ask one more question. So, obviously, like I said, I just started the NDTF. What, do you, what, what could you say to me? What are your tips going through that and, Good one. and beyond that? Talk. Talk to people. Don't sit there and take all and ask you questions. If you don't like them, doesn't matter. You're going to learn something. You have to ask you questions. Mm. Learn to learn you, mm-hmm. and be teachable. Like some people go in there and go, no, this is how we do it. You just need to be open. Mm-hmm. You need to be try things. You need to learn to investigate. Uh, and just because even your NETF instructors tell you that's how it is, it mm. doesn't necessarily mean it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be open-minded and learn how to learn. I was that's listening nice. to um, not maybe not the most recent, but last week's episode of um, the Canine Paradigm, and it was called the Master Instructor or the Master Teacher, and it was yeah. similar to what you're saying. They're saying like Glenn said, like he he can look at any given trainer on Instagram or YouTube, and within thirty seconds he'll go, he learned under him, he learned under him, mm-hmm. yeah. he learned under her, under him, whoever, instantly, and and maybe the best option is to is to you know take a little bit from everywhere and and yes. horizons you know like don't yes. just assume that whoever uh, you know I won't assume that Panos knows everything and he says it all the time he doesn't know everything and you don't know everything and Glenn doesn't know everything and mm-hmm. it's and and if if that were true then then you would just have like those guys use the same term cookie cutters you just have the same trainer everywhere yeah. right so well you learned, know um, I've always had this kind of rule that if I think I know it all it's time to hang up the lead because now I'm going to do it this totally. Um, Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of people who promote how long they've been in the industry and, you know, hats off to them that they've been in there for, and, and survived the industry for that long because that, that's incredible as its own. Mm. Uh, uh, but I want to know what you've changed in 40 years as well. Yes. I want to know what, you're doing the same thing you did 40 years ago. I don't know if you're the trainer for me. Yeah. Um, oh, man, that's that's awesome. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Thanks, yeah. man. You know, there's some trainers that have only been in a couple of years and they're doing some amazing shit. Exactly. And I think that's got nothing to do with how long they've been in it's their ability to learn and communicate with other trainers and put aside the dick measuring that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep no trying to best yes. each other. Um, because if you truly love your dogs and you're truly doing this for dog, the betterment of dogs, then you need to stop that. But that's just not. Someone, someone asked me the other day, how, how do I feel about the industry in South Australia? And I do not have high hopes for the future mm. of this industry in the state. But I'm not going to stop. Um, what, what makes you say that? Not to end on a negative note, but you know, without naming we, names more generally. No, what? there's no names to name. That's the right. problem. Uh, um, but really, I think it's it's more. I saw a really good bumper sticker once that said, "People who train dogs train dogs. People who don't train dogs make laws about dog training." Yeah. Um, 
you know, we're all about being open and trying different methods and tools and equipment and different pathways, but it gets more and more difficult here in this state with laws. So that's a um, South Australian thing? They're, are they particularly hard I don't think it's just South Australia. Yeah. I, no, I, it's, I mean, there's it's other states. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's a little bit harder. Like where, as, as an NDTF student, um, there's not many NDTF students here in SA. We right. don't have like you guys do. We're very much a different point of view. There's not and many our balanced trainers, you mean? Board. Mm. Yeah, Delta trainers, the Delta mm. organization, they, they have a lot of fingers and pies here in SA. Uh, um, I do know, like, I'm not allowed to be on the dog and cat management board's listed, uh, list of uh, approved trainers because I'm not Delta. No, gosh. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, but, yeah, but they they did also ask me to be a part of their um, dangerous dog list. You know, so if their council or issues, this dog is dangerous. That's I can be interesting. One of the that's interesting. Yeah. yeah so what does that go to tell you about you know, one version? But even still, I, I didn't do it because that the contract they wanted me to sign stated that I only use positive only reinforcement methods. And as someone with any understanding of the science of behavior, would know that doesn't exist. It's impossible. I cannot do that. So I, I, I couldn't ethically sign it. I noticed yeah. some trainers just go, oh, sign it. I can't. I just can't sign that. Well, then so, you're um, legally bound and then you can be held accountable yeah. for something that... So I'm not going to do that because it, the day I see a trainer only use positive only reinforcement, then I'll jump on it. But the yeah. day not going to come because it's just not what happens. Yeah, it's true. But, yes. you know, I, I'm just as... You know, I use just as much reinforcement as any dog trainer. Mm-hmm. But we need to stop bastardizing terms and terminology and, as I said, measuring our dicks. It will come to light, man. It'll, man, I've got, I'm getting clients these days saying we had the positive only force-free person. Again, each of their own, however you want to train, whatever. Well, um, but they said, look, it just didn't work and we want to try something else. And so, so it's just going to happen. If, work, if their method works well, go for it. Awesome. And some of them, some of them do some really good stuff. but. Exactly. If it doesn't work, the green needle is not always the answer. Exactly. You can't go, we do no punishment. Oh, I hold on, it didn't work. Now we do capital punishment. That's mm-hmm. like an extreme. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. It's crazy. No, I don't want to get in down to that angle. But yeah, yeah South Australia does <laughs> get a very, a little bit funny with those kind of laws. And it's just, we're just a different kind of world here. We're yeah. slowly seeing it change, but I just, I think it might be a little bit too little too late. Yeah, totally. I'll probably right. move over there before anything. <laughs> yeah. Let um let everyone know where they can find you, um, all your socials and business names. Yeah, so just follow uh Canine Connect, uh the word Canine Connect. Um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh we only, you know, if you jump on our website, if you have questions, I'm happy to answer questions to anyone. Uh we'll awesome. be posting this on Facebook. Yeah, we're getting out there on Facebook, Instagram as yeah, well. If anyone's but- got questions and they comment on that, I'm happy to come on and cool. answer what I can. Beautiful. Share the knowledge, share the wealth. Yeah. We will get you on again. Yes. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All good, brother. You have a good evening. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate, and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches Thank you and stay tuned for next time.